place was on. People of great wealth understood the risks that they were taking, but the despotism and tyranny had reached such a level that men's livelihood was being taken from them. Their lives were being ruined. King George and his monarchy had to be cast down as a new constitutional republic was being put in place. Something of this nature had never been seen before in the history of nations. A government formed by the people for the people. Would it stand? Could it endure? Was it worth fighting for and losing all? Indeed, it was. But time has passed, and the nation has fallen into the hands of those who do not recognize the intentions and principles of the Founding Fathers. A new idea has been incorporated. Our president, today, likes to call it democracy, something that was vehemently rejected early on. Earlier, it was called progressivism, and was tightly embraced by Western Europe intellectuals, and soon thereafter by the American elite. Today, it's called socialism. It had been polished and reshaped, redefined, but the smell and the effects are the same as they have been since its inception. It is followed constantly by chaos, inflation, restrictions, and regulations. These are being forced upon the American people in ways that many are unaware of, while the elite eat their cake. The rich are becoming incredibly richer, and the middle class is disappearing. The poor, well, they're being forced into the arms of the state. This is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. I want to invite you to continue following us as we're discussing various topics related to the condition of our nation today. We will be considering the subject, How to Eat an Elephant, Watching the Progressive Win the Battle for the Sons of America. We hope you've been a bit Here we sit in the year 2023. We're experiencing new cultural revolution, or what is being called a new cultural revolution. These ideologies that we see being fleshed out in society today are not new by any means, by any stretch. It's the same dog food. These radical guys are simply just putting it in a new package. The ideas being expressed are generally an amalgamation of ideas and concepts that have been written about, discussed, and studied for the past 60 or 70 years. These are not new ideas. Karl Marx reached his conclusions through information that he had gathered from Hegel and Maximilian, Robespierre, and Voltaire, and other Enlightenment philosophers. The ideas he has put together and espoused are not new ideas. He did not invent communism. Collective ideology was discovered in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And there's a guy named Nimrod you need to read about. Though all these things have been assigned to Marx, they were not original thought. Part of the radical nature of what, we were, of what he was saying came as a result of the time and the stage on which he was speaking. Even then, when he spoke, few listened. But the few that did formed a group that was called the Fabian Society. And from that small acorn, communism grew, and it has infected the entire world. Often neglected are the facts, however. Radical ideology, such as Marxism, was in embraced by many, and it always results in chaos and confusion. In the case of Marxism, it has resulted in the death of millions upon millions of people.
Karl Marx was a man who, as a result of his brilliant ideas, was living in exile and died in London due to his being literally banned from Prussia, his home country. He then fled to France and eventually was sent packing from Paris, and finally he found refuge in London. The man died in exile, banned from returning to his homeland, much like Philip Nolan, man without a country. When searching for answers, you always have to ask where the idea came from. What was the original guy who espoused this idea like? You consider the source of these ideas. So this requires that you take stock of the individual character and the effect of the philosophy and how it affected his life. How did what he thought and taught affect his personal affairs? How did it govern his life? What about those directly in contact with the man? Now, we can allow flaws and omissions to be expected because you're studying a human being, and every human being I have ever met has some sort of flaw. However, what seems to be the practice and the history of that man and his ideas, does it present a trail of error and problems throughout history? So, yeah, we have to look at that and consider it. So we come to the radical nature of our nation today, the United States of America. Extreme events are occurring throughout the nation and also throughout the Western world. Radical teachings are being taught. Fires are burning down our cities and diehard extremists are taking to the streets in almost militant fashion. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, all these things. Now, to those under the age of 50, this essentially is all new. They've read about the 60s. That's been on TV and radio, and many, many, many books have been written. But today, they are allowed to experience a new-fangled expression of these old ideas. Many attribute these twisted turns in society to the radical influence of the 60s, and that would be a mistake. If we rested on the history of the 60s, then we would be treating the symptoms, and we'd be missing a cure altogether. In the late spring of May 2017, for an example, protests erupted at Evergreen State University in Olympia, Washington. This school was developed in 1967 as a bastion of far-left liberalism, so it had been established as a liberal university, a progressive university. And the professors there were progressive and woke but they began to be taunted by the students with charges of racism. Demands were being made by the student body that were extremely radical. They demanded that the police chief be fired, that guns be taken away from the police, that the staff and faculty undergo cultural competency training. The white students were encouraged to make themselves scarce on campus. Terroristic threats were being made. Evergreen boasted of its progressive stance for years, and they took great delight in their liberal position. They fully embraced the motto, Omnia Extaris, which means, let it all hang out. When one of the leaders of the protest were questioned regarding the means and the methods that he was using, he responded, you should know better than to ask such a question. We are only putting into practice what you have taught us. Okay. So when considering the 60 radicals, we have to ask, where did the radicals get their ideas from? Who taught them? And we can focus on a variety of different influences from that period, but we want to go through that at another time.
These American activists of the 60s sat at the feet of progressive professors who had been deeply influenced in years past by the methods and the philosophies that sprang from the collective minds of the Frankfurt School, which was developed in the early 1900s. These men, Max Horkheimer, Theodore Adorno, Eric Fromm, and Herbert Marcuse, all committed communists who had realized the failures of Stalin's approach to Marxist principles, were invited to find a home at the University of Chicago by John Dewey. Later, the ideas of Antonio Gramsci were incorporated into their curriculum, and over time, these men branched out to teach at various universities, and thus it did not take a long time for academia to become enamored with the new and shiny objects that they were being presented with in the world of intellectual thought. Great changes were being made in society. As a result of what they had seen in practice through the efforts of Stalin in the Soviet Union, these Frankfurt men saw that existentialism was pretty much dead. So they began to refer to the existentialist view of liberalism as the god that had failed. They saw the implosion of communism. They saw that starvation in the Ukraines, in the Ukrainian villages, was not good, that the gulags were not good, and that slavery and totalitarianism was the actual antithesis of philosophy. They saw that their god had died. The god of the existentialist had died. Well, if their god died, then all gods must die. The ideas of the old school had to be wiped away and eradicated. They believed that societal problems came from social structures and corporate assumptions and cultural assumptions rather than from the grassroots people. The problem in society was ideological. This is the central obstacle to human liberation, is what they taught. So our schools begin to produce grown adults who would be running corporate America, teaching in the public education arena, with ideas that were based upon these lines of thinking. We cannot be free so long as we're leaning on ancient rules and restrictions that have been imposed upon the people. Under the tutelage of these men, many college professors adopted a philosophical approach called critical theory. These men were decidedly taking a critical approach to Western society as a whole, examining each point. All of these ideas combined to help eliminate the idea of existentialism, and this has led to a complete restructuring of thought, because so much had been built upon the idea of existentialism. History, sociology, communication, philosophy, the amalgamation of ideas that formed who we are must be revisited and revised. Using a scorched-earth approach, the old had to be taken away, and we had to awaken to the reality of a new world. Critical theory has actually come to the forefront of American thinking in our day in various forms, and it teaches that Western society is extremely oppressive and suppressive at the same time. The Frankfurt boys seemed to think American thought was a, had a great deal in common with the Soviet Union. They criticized the idea of scientific reasoning put forward by the new liberals, which we're going to discuss. They used the collection of ideas and facts to arrive at these conclusions. They suggested we should be more critical. They saw the need to use philosophy as an end to political logic, something like a cudgel, a weapon. It's time we woke up and saw these things. Critical thought is a constant critique 
used to expose the contradictions between society's stated values and the conditions that limited the freedom of the individual. This applies across the board, sexually, racially, corporately, and religiously. Society says that we're all free to do and to be what we wish, yet we have laws against sodomy and pedophilia. Why? This is the imposition of oppression and suppression upon the individual's right of expression, so said the Frankfurt boys. In the mountains of Nepal and China and the Middle East, people discovered a new way to use the poppy plant. The results brought with it a euphoric feeling of freedom. They called this substance heroin. Yet in the Western world, this has been outlawed. Why? The West boasts of freedom, and yet they impose all of these restrictions. They say the individual is free to choose, but then they have laws against that. These restrictions are contradictory to the ideas we espouse, so taught the Frankfurt boys. It was all illogical. Critical thought is a method that is taught that encourages the individual to constantly question all the standards and anything that would inhibit an individual's right of expression. These standards and restrictions would prohibit humanity from being expressed within the individual. We had to remove these rules, and we had to find freedom, according to the Frankfurt boys. Now also, be prepared to experience the backlash of crime, decay, moral decadence, physical destruction of property, medical collapse due to the breakdown in public health, and all sorts of things that come along with the freedom of expression of humanity. These things are all part and parcel of the package. Now, along with such ideology came the expression that society allowing such freedoms must then be required to provide remedies to these ills that have been created as a result of human expression. It's the only humane thing to do. Now, this is the result of chaos. Every man becomes a law unto himself, and we as an aggregate, as a collective, must be willing to and able to take care of the ills that result. This is what destroyed Rome. The leader of this enterprise has a central ideological position that he is promoting, and he has not deviated from his goal. He has stated that I will be like the Most High. I will be like God. The Frankfurt School professors were convinced Marxist, if not communist. They felt that we had to attain the idea of the utopia that lay before us because it caused the individual to create an idea of perfect societies in which we could all find freedom. Keep the carrot in view of the horse and he'll keep moving forward. The utopian view gives people the impetus to, cast, to cause us to question society regarding laws and restrictions and to realize that we're being repressed and we need to constantly push for greater individual rights and freedoms. Now, combine this with, uh, with Dewey's humanistic approach and you now have a world of thought that led you to complete absurdity. We want to be free in an absolute fashion. The logical end of such thought would be to eliminate the police, take away the guns, eliminate the rules, and encourage anarchy. A primary principle required for true happiness to be gained, according to these men from Frankfurt, is that we must abolish religion. Religion is very, very restrictive. Imagine all the people living as one. 
No more religion, no more country, no more politics. John Lennon wrote these lyrics back in 1971, and he said they were essentially the Communist Manifesto put to music. Eliminate any idea that my God is better than your God, and all of the turmoil will end. Really, is this why there are wars and rumors of wars among us? I always thought wars were fought because you had what I wanted, and I wanted what you had. Man and his lust is the central cause of war, not religion. Man is. Eliminate religion, and we'll simply, simply find another reason to fight. Liberalism was now irrelevant as a philosophy, and for years people had listened to the liberal views that were in place during World War II. They were told that these liberal ideas would save the world. The war to end all wars was a failure. The ideology that led science to develop bombs and weapons of mass destruction led the to the eventual development of the atom bomb, which led to more efficient extermination of masses of people. This led to the left to condemn the liberals of various forms of hypocrisy, particularly in the area of civil rights, family, and sexuality. Laws of men, based on religious underpinning, were restricting the freedom of expression and economic well-being of the poor. These ideas brought intense struggle and internal suffering and a great deal of chaos to the streets in America. The left began to imitate science by basing their philosophical conclusions on quantitative findings. Empirical data led to philosophical inference. The social thought became rigid and fixed on numbers. The data showed trends and tendencies. The data provided truth, not the growth and spread of corruption. Rather than grapple with moral declension, the numbers indicated the needs were based in what science could address. The problem, for an example, was not really drunk driving. We needed seatbelts and better cars. And rather than try to change the man, berating their decadent behavior with restrictive judgment, why not seek to make life a better place to be lived and encourage the man? Give freedom a chance. Let's let you be you and put you in a better car, a safer vehicle that's better on gas and equipped with a seatbelt. The founders' ideas of liberalism is generally known as classical liberalism. It should be noted that the founders never did call themselves liberals, but republicans, meaning limited government, protection of the individual's rights, and the right to private property. The idea of today's liberalism came with the election of Woodrow Wilson. In those days, they could not call themselves progressive because that was the name Theodore Roosevelt had taken. So they borrowed the name liberal, and it stuck. It also had the faded sense of morality and decency that came with it. The Republican idea. What it actually meant was freedom and security of liberty by the expanse of the welfare state. Remove the shackles of restrictive ideas which the conservatives had placed upon you, let you be you within reason, and seek to provide you a more com comfortable means of travel. Referring back to the automobile ideology. For the modern liberal ideals to emerge, it had to have more than a melange of political rhetoric to offer. It couldn't just be talk. It needed a philosophical foundation. People would ask why these politicians believed what they did, 
and they needed a firm background to which they could refer, so they looked to John Dewey to provide this. These were not the old school progressives. No, no, no. These were the new liberals, the new group with new thoughts. The old school progressives were defined by the middle class who tended to love Theodore Roosevelt. These were referred to as WASPs, W-A-S-P, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Woodrow Wilson was by no means a fan of Theodore Roosevelt. He was not a part of Roosevelt's school of thought. His closest advisor, Colonel House, best described the philosophical position and approach of Mr. Wilson in his book entitled Philip Drew, Administrator. These liberals were primarily located in metropolitan areas, inner city Democrats is what they were called. They were pluralist. They had worked with various nationalities over the years during the years of migration. The question arose as to what John Dewey could contribute at this particular point. Dewey added a detachment from concrete politics. Herbert Crowley and his New Republic magazine had created a great deal of animosity with Roosevelt and Wilson, and thus feelings were running deep and causing political problems. So the new liberals wanted to detach themselves from the problematic world of politics. They wanted a new philosophy and a way to articulate new policies. They wanted, essentially, what has been deemed legally a new religion. Dewey codified these philosophies through what was entitled the Humanist Manifesto. A new liberalism was born. The central theme of this new religion was that man was the supreme authority in all affairs. He did not need some personal deity directing him. His destiny was in his own hands. This new doctrinal position, outlined by 15 points, rejected the idea of an absolute, and it promoted an egalitarian society based on voluntary cooperation, a collective. These 15 points can only be seen as suggestions, however. It's almost impossible to say that you're a humanist and there are no absolutes, and then turn around and say that these 15 points are an absolute. There can be no authoritative dogma provided. It was through these lens that John Dewey formed his philosophical ideas on education, politics, and religion. So it's through these lens that you and I received our education. These ideas form the fundamental basis of the thought processes of the average American today. For the concept of no absolutes and no God being present, there can be no fixed foundational principles for the nation. Our founding fathers offered nothing more than mere suggestions in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, according to this idea. The churches, well, they preach from a book, and they have their opinions. Modern education cannot offer the student definite ideas regarding life, anything that's absolute, so there can be no real fixed meaning or idea. This is what led Albert Camus to declare that life was nothing but absurd. You see, in a life where nothing is absolute, nothing makes any sense, and there can be no meaning. This contributes to the calamity of the 1960s.